In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Firstly, some announcements. All are warmly invited to attend a reception following this Holy Mass, which will be held downstairs in the reception hall. Also at this Holy Mass will be distributed Holy Communion, a public declaration that one is a member of and believes all that is taught by the Catholic Church and as far as one can prudently discern, is properly disposed to receive. Therefore, only Catholics in a state of grace, not conscious of any mortal sin, in good standing with the Church, who've kept the prescribed fast, should present themselves to receive. Communion at this Mass is received kneeling and on the tongue. Of course, those unable to kneel may stand. And the minister recites the entire communion formula, so no response, no amen is required by the recipient. Please keep the area under your chin open so that the pattern can be placed properly. Those who are not disposed to receive Holy Communion are encouraged to make a spiritual communion. Remember man, thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. With these sobering words, we commence the holy season of Lent, the annual exercises of penitence for our sins, in anticipation of that victory over sin and death that is ours in the resurrection of Easter, in which season we now offer this Requiem Mass. The offering of a Requiem Mass during Eastertide is a powerful proclamation of what St. Peter calls the hope that is in us, which well-founded hope motivates this act of immense charity and mercy towards the least fortunate members of our association. Almsgiving towards the neediest members of our church, the church suffering, the holy souls in purgatory, constitutes, yes, an explicit spiritual and corporal work of mercy. Indeed, what more efficacious thing can one do for one's loved ones, and indeed even for one's enemies, than to lay down one's life in this case, the very same life offering of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For that is what is offered to the Father at such a Mass. The irresistible offering, perfect atonement, sufficient satisfaction for any and all the world's sins. You can do no greater thing for anyone, anywhere, ever, than this. Anything you ask for in my name, promises the Lord, will be granted you. And of all the things we might ask the Lord, what could better accord with the will of the Good Shepherd that nothing of what you have given me should be lost? The economy of salvation is such, so abundantly sufficient that nothing, no one need be lost, for this Christ came. And yet, in the abysmal mystery of human iniquity, the willfulness of some souls squanders the propitious time for their salvation, and they find to their dismay that they ran the race but failed to finish in the allotted time. And the suffering of such souls as languish in purgatory lies in the cold horror of having almost succeeded in their life's purpose, but finding instead that innate desire of every soul to be with its maker thwarted 
What sweet suffering, what exquisite agony, what truly frustrated life's purpose then to find you almost did it, but came up just short. What sweetens the suffering, certainly, is the knowledge that your soul does number among the saved. But what writhing agony to be detained by the burden of discharging the temporal debts outstanding on your sinful resume and about which you can now do nothing. What then can be done? This. What we are doing now. This brings into stark relief the dogmatic axiom of St. Cyprian of Carthage that outside the church there is no salvation. Anyone who is saved is saved through this, the sacrifice which each Mass makes present and efficacious as the petitions of Good Friday's rite, venerating the cross, spell out so universally. Alas, too few of us reckon with the pollution with which the disorder and disharmony of our misdeeds have tainted the spiritual environment in which all souls must live. To what else can we ascribe the presence and creation of disease, disaster, death, war? These certainly had no part in God's plan for creation, which he found very good. We may well be acquitted of our sins, but may we blithely disregard the corruption our iniquities have befouled the common good of all? Too many are the souls who, shriven in the sacrament, forget their urgent duty to undertake penance for the temporal punishment due even for forgiven sins. Even children know that they must needs clean up their mess, or do they anymore? And that is perhaps why the forgotten virtue of compunction is all the more pertinent for the children of our generation. We forget it at our peril. My sophomores at Pius are always looking for the most obtuse objections to a thing. How do you know that the soul you're offering mass for is in purgatory, they might ask. What if they are already in heaven or in hell? I'm convinced St. Thomas Aquinas composed the Summa after teaching sophomores. <laughs> Obviously, the destiny of a soul in heaven or in hell is quite unaltered by such a mass. But this is all the more sound an argument for the existence of purgatory, since scripture indeed does command us to pray for the deceased that they might yet be forgiven their sins. And a good God commands neither the impossible nor the pointless. But every mass renders to God infinite glory. And this is undiminished in those cases where a soul's destiny is eternally sealed. Should such a soul find itself in heaven, imagine the powerful intercession won from that saint's gratitude, seeing how you care for their soul. Imagine, too, the recompense of grace he or she will win for, for you from the throne of glory. In the modern church, in which it seems there is only the mass of Christian burial celebrated for the funeral of a particular person, there is special poignancy 
in celebrating such a requiem for, well, so to speak, generically, for souls various, or perhaps even souls unknown. It frees us, unencumbered by the emotion of sharp grief, to contemplate more soberly the eternal realities of our creaturely nature, namely the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But also, and not to make too fine a point of it, take note, this casket, this catafalque is empty. In it, there lies a space for me. And this drives home all the more the charitable duty of such an undertaking. To quote the words of our Lord, you did it for me. In Rome, under the church of the Capuchins on the Via Veneto, lie the bones of centuries of their predecessors arranged in artful designs. Most monasteries of antiquity, and certainly most still in the East, contain an ossuary, or a room of bones, with an opening or a window in the door through which the, the monk may look inside and see the future. They call it the monk's mirror, for indeed there is no other mirror in a monastery in which a monk may see more truly what they are. Indeed, the Capuchins in Rome have arranged over the main doorway, on the way in and on the way out, in lettering in the bones of the friars the following words. On the way in, what you are, we were. And on the way out, what we are, you will be. Gawking tourists breeze in day and night, taking selfies, and totally miss the point. Be not one of them. Remember, O Christian soul, that you have this day and every day of your life God to glorify, Jesus to imitate, the angels and saints to invoke, a soul to save, a body to mortify, sins to expiate, virtues to acquire, hell to avoid, heaven to gain, eternity to prepare for, time to profit of, your neighbor to edify, passions to subdue, devils to combat, the world to despise, death perhaps to encounter, and judgment to undergo. Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.